0: Today's episode is sponsored by JEO Consulting Group. JEO Consulting Group is a full-service firm offering engineering, architecture, surveying, and planning to clients throughout the Midwest. Since JEO's beginnings in 1937, we have grown to more than 12 offices across Nebraska, Iowa, and Kansas. With over 250 employees, we provide innovative and cost-effective solutions for both public and private sector. The JEO team of professional engineers Architects, surveyors, planners, and financial experts all work in concert with skilled technicians and support professionals to exceed our clients' expectations. And welcome to the Booked On Planning Podcast. I'm your host, Stephanie Rouse, a transportation planner with the Lincoln-Lancaster County Planning Department, and I'm joined today by my co-host, Jonathan Miller, a planner too with the Delaware County Regional Planning Commission. We're here to get you hooked on planning through the books that have shaped the field. Let's dive in. So our guest today is Michael Brooks, author of Planning Theory of Practitioners. Michael is a retired Dean of the Virginia Commonwealth University. Thank you for joining us today, Michael. Glad to be here. Can you first start off by telling us a little bit about yourself and why you decided to write the book?
1: Well, let's see, I had a long career in academia, um, starting out with a a master's degree at Harvard, doctorate at uh, UNC, then uh, taught there in Chapel Hill for a while. uh, went uh, spent a number of years in administration, University of Illinois as chair, and then three deanship's at Iowa State, SUNY Buffalo, and Virginia Commonwealth, where I was dean. By the way, of the um, School of Community and Public Affairs, not of the not of VCU. The president there might get uh, upset if we uh, claimed I was dean of the entire university. But anyway, um, the the book itself. Um, came from years of experience of students with, uh, with planning theory courses. Students go to planning school, unless they're interested in academic careers, they go to planning school to learn to practice planning, to be practitioners. And I had had so many years of students with sort of blank stares when you talk about, uh, uh, talk about planning theory um generally dreading the planning theory course, not understanding how it might have any benefit whatsoever to their, their future uh, practice in planning. <clears throat> and of course, my own feeling was that planning theory is a very important element of being a planner, that it sort of underscores and underlies what we do and it helps us uh, it helps us have a sense of purpose. So the purpose of writing the book really was to sort of bridge that gap and try to show that planning theory is really relevant to planning practice. And um, at the time I wrote it, not much else was in the literature uh, trying to achieve that kind of objective. So it was, it was uh, something I enjoyed taking on. That was the purpose. The other purpose was my wife saying, Mike, you're never going to write that book. And uh, I thought it was time to do it. So I had to prove her wrong.
2: All right, so before we before we uh, jump into the, the nitty-gritty questions, there is one thing that I wanted to clarify uh, just right from the start because I know it can be an issue of semantics for some people, right? Uh, so that anyone tuning in, they can just be on the same page from the get-go. I think a lot of planning practitioners out there might be a little bit confused on what the main topic of the book is because of, like I said, the semantic differences in the term theory, right? So some people may mistake this term for... Planning theories like spatial organization theories, like when you you know you talk about Hoyt's sector theory or Burgess's concentric zone theory, that type of stuff, uh, or even maybe a planning theories along the lines of induced traffic demand or walkability or something like that. But in the context of this book, you use the term planning theories more as uh, models of the planning function or strategies of practicing planning, right? Or is that is that off base?
1: Well, that's very true. The the topics that you mentioned, the Burgess and the Hoyt and and, uh, those kinds of things, uh, typically showed up more in courses on the city or sometimes courses called urban theory. Uh, And they dealt more with how the city is structured, how it functions, or even the kind of city that the particular planners ought to be trying to produce. Uh, And for the most part, planning theory courses, of the kind I'm talking about, uh, usually focus more on on the process itself uh, on what it means to plan and how it ought to be done. Uh, in other words, they were less descriptive and more prescriptive. That was more, uh, the kind of planning theory that, uh, that I'm addressing in the book.
2: So in the book, you bring up, uh, four main theories of planning, uh, comprehensive rationality, incrementalism, uh, advocacy, and communicative action. Uh, you broke them up into a typology matrix that shows how each of these are common and different uh, based on their rationality and centralization. Uh, would you mind explaining sort of what you mean when you talk about their rationality and centralization and sort of how they apply to each of those?
1: Sure. There was, there was a time when, especially in the early, the early thinking about planning theory, when it was assumed to be a kind of rational process Uh, very heavy on analysis, um, careful analysis of goals and potential courses of action and the consequences they might produce and so forth and so on. Uh, So that is the sort of rational theme, uh, the rational uh, strand in in planning theory, as opposed to uh, others that came along that were more, that allowed for other processes, political processes, uh, interaction, communication, and so forth, and did not necessarily base them on the notion of of rational planning, which is not to say that these were irrational models. And I always have to make that distinction. They were not irrational. They just didn't make rationality the big deal. It was not the uh, the central assumption in uh, in the theory. Uh, The centralization thing is is fairly simple, that dimension, Uh, some of the theories sort of assume a top-down planner, uh, and that was particularly true with the rational models of of planning. The planning is being done from the top down, as opposed to those that see it more as a kind of grassroots, community-based or client-based process that the planner helps facilitate, sort of coming up from the bottom. So that's the, that's the, uh, the opposite of the, central, uh, the centralization, the centralized planning.
0: I guess a follow-up question to that, when, what time period did you start to see that shift between ras- rationalization and centralization?
1: Well, let's see. Um, the, the, uh, for me, anyway, the big uh, book in rational planning, the big work in rational planning was done by Martin Meyerson which I think was way back in the 1950s. And uh, so it moved into the, uh, there was a long time. And in fact, I suspect today, you would still scratch a few planners who would say, well, I'm, I'm carrying this out in a rational way. Uh, but as a, a sort of a major paradigm of planning, I think it began to fade in the, in the, in the 70s uh, and a variety of other models have become more, more popular since then.
2: Yeah, so you had, uh, you had actually explained that sort of chronological uh, evolution, I guess, of the planning theories in the book too, right? Uh, rationalism sort of fed into incrementalism, which sort of became advocacy, which sort of became, uh, you know, planning as a communicator. Uh, and it was, that was, I thought, amazingly helpful in terms of understanding why planning is practiced the way that it is today. Just to pick your brain a little bit. Uh, why do you think those ultimately ended up sort of evolving the way that they did? Like, what kind of factors might have led into
1: that? Well, you know, a couple of things come into play, a couple of things come to mind. One is that we develop new theories sometimes when the old ones simply don't seem to be adequate anymore. Um, They don't really seem to be describing what it is we're trying to accomplish. And beyond that, I think we develop new theories to reflect changes that are occurring in our society or our, our culture. Um, advocacy, for example, uh, under with Paul Davidoff's um, beautiful writing on that subject, uh, came about as as planning and the society as a whole were becoming more focused on questions of uh, of equity and uh, uh, um, egalitarianism and so forth. So I, I think as the world changes, our our view of planning theory changes as well.
2: It's always sort of fascinating to me how the social climate of the times within which we live can sort of guide how we approach those types of things. Absolutely. So in the last part of the book, you talk about effective ways to navigate the politics of planning, which I'm sure anybody in the public sector and probably a lot of people in the private sector, actually, uh, how we can navigate the, the politics of that through trial balloons and what you call feedback strategy. So Would you mind explaining what you mean by trial balloons and how can current planning practitioners uh, use it as a, as a feedback strategy?
1: Well, the whole idea here was to take a sort of explicitly experimental uh, view of planning. Uh, That is that we need to really, when we, when we make recommendations, when we prepare plans, when we develop projects, Uh, we need to evaluate the effectiveness of what it is we're trying to do. Um, And we can ask several things along that line. We can ask if it's achieving what it was supposed to achieve. Uh, Is it politically feasible? Is it selling? Is it economically feasible? Is it, uh, you know, can the the client or the community uh, afford it? Uh, And so on. And if not, then what kinds of mid-course corrections might be made? Uh, By the way, a number of planners have told me through the years that this is actually sort of what they do, that they are constantly trying new things and that they have to get feedback politically and otherwise uh, to what it is they're trying to do. And I think what was perhaps new about my strategy, or at least I was trying to do here, uh, was to make this feedback process a little more systematic. So that it isn't just a helter skelter thing of getting clobbered politically uh, when something isn't working, but you've really kind of built that in as a part of the process. So there are some recommendations in the book about how to do that, about how to uh, acquire feedback a little more systematically so that you can decide whether you're accomplishing uh, what you set out to do. Uh, Some people, by the way, were critical of this on the grounds that it seemed a little too cautious. You know, the planners ought to just sort of, uh, with their value systems, just charge right ahead and, and do what they think is right. And I can understand that. And there are times when that's not a bad thing to do. But I guess I'm, I'm really interested in, in the end product, in, in success. And I think um, sort of developing these, these, these feedback sensibilities is, is a good way to uh, uh, get a little closer to what it is you're trying to accomplish.
0: For our listeners, can you give an example of um, one of those ways that you can get the feedback from the political process?
1: Oh, let's see. Feedback from a political process. I'm thinking, of course, of planning in um, my community now uh, in uh, Florida and um, the difficulties of trying to control development. And one quickly learns that there are some things one can do that if you are really trying to control the pace and nature of development in a particular area and you see you're losing, then maybe you've got to back off and think more in terms of some kind of uh, smaller scale neighborhood development uh, issue um, that you can accomplish something. So, so um, You know, it's a a constant ongoing process. What can I do? What can I really get done here?
2: So all things all things considered, is there any advice that you could give practicing planners uh, that may actually sort of struggle with what their role or strategy is in the community? Because I know it can vary, uh, especially from, you know, planning department to planning department. And just in case anyone's sort of getting lost in the shuffle on, you know. What is my actual role here? Uh, is it, do you have any advice on how they can sort of best approach that uh,
1: conundrum? Well, it is a conundrum. Um, I recently ran into a former student here uh, who was uh, very much involved in development planning for uh, a Florida community and who uh, uh, was about ready to leave because, um He felt he was always losing to development issues that he really could accomplish, not much of anything. Uh, I could understand that. And there are times when you have to say, "Okay, I can't do it here. Um, (laughs) uh, I'm going to have to move on. Uh, So first of all, you have to assess whether you can accomplish the things that you consider important in a particular community. And as I suggested a while ago, if the big picture can't be accomplished, uh, if you can't really sort of shape the entire community the way you would like to, maybe you can do some smaller things uh, at the neighborhood level or uh, uh, improving some transportation situations or uh, providing some park facilities that, uh, that uh, might not have been there otherwise. Uh, you have to sort of decide what you can really accomplish in your community. And I guess that's one kind of advice I would give. And by the way, there are times when you simply say, I can't do it here. I can't do it here. It's not going to work. I got to move on. And uh, that's a very difficult decision, but uh, sometimes it gets made. Planners do it all the time.
2: Uh, yeah, no, I know. I, my heart goes out to your former student because I'm pretty sure we've all been there before. Uh, you mentioned at the end uh, that none, none of these strategies, right, are going to work if, uh, you know, the planner is politically inept. If you were to plan a course on Political preparedness for planners—if uh, alliteration would be the theme, I guess—in yeah. <laughs> an, in an yeah. undergraduate planning curriculum, what what are some of the main lessons that you would want to make sure that you included in that in that course?
1: Well, the uh, as you may uh, have noticed, that there, that's actually an entire chapter in the book uh, where I write about the elements of political savvy, and um, I mean everybody could come up with their own list, but I had mine. And I'll just tick off what uh, a few of them are. First of all, the ability as I suggested to assess the, the uh, constraints and possibilities of the situation you're in. You know, what can I really accomplish here? And that takes a certain political sensitivity. Uh, second is the to learn the importance of timing Uh, Maybe I can't do what I wanna do in this year's budget or with this particular city council, but there's gonna be an election next year. And maybe if I hold off, uh, things are gonna get better. Uh, So learning to use timing effectively is important. Uh, Third, and I can't overemphasize this, is the importance of communication skills. Uh, I don't know how many times I have seen ideas go down in flames because they were poorly presented either in writing or, or orally. Uh, you know, civic groups don't want to hear all the planning jargon that we, uh, we learned so well in planning school and in our careers. They don't want the, uh, uh, the uh, alphabet soup of uh, federal agencies and all that sort of thing. Uh, so communicating well is important. Um, fourth would be the development of negotiation skills. Because so much of what planners do or do not accomplish relies on negotiation, uh, sort of getting what you can out of the, uh, out of the situation. Uh, fifth is in learning how to use power relationships. You know, what are the, uh, what, what's the power structure of this community? Um, is it sort of a small number of people or is it uh, widely diffused? And are there groups that I could sort of ally with to, uh, to get things accomplished? Uh, You have to analyze that sort of thing. Uh, Another one is a, um, and I think this is very important, having a strong set of guiding values that provide some direction to your own, your own professional activities. Uh, If you don't have that, you're not gonna be politically effective if you're just a chameleon out there doing what anybody sort of uh, wants you to do. And I also think you ought to have a compelling vision of what the community ought to look like in the future. and I re- recounted in the book uh, an interaction I had with a planner friend of mine in, in uh, back when I was in Virginia, who um, I said, "You know, I don't dare be a visionary in my community because they wouldn't allow me to do that." And I said, "Do you have do you have a sense of what you'd like to accomplish in this community in the future?" And she said, "Oh, of course." And I said, "You're a visionary. <laughs> you know, you've got a vision of what the community could become, what it'll look like." So I think I think that's the way I would answer your question that there are a number of things that uh, that can be learned, uh, but you've got to want to learn you've got to want to learn them as well. You've got to sort of you know hit the political system head on.
0: I guess I have a follow- up question on the visions uh, side of this. Yeah, I guess we we all create kind of the bigger visions in our comprehensive plans our long range plans for our communities, and that's kind of sets the stage for where we're going and as a whole, what we're trying to achieve? How would a planner go about kind of reconciling if their vision for the community doesn't align with what was created in one of their long-range documents?
1: <laughs> well, that that is a tough one, and um, it depends on on how how um, serious the gap is between those two things. Uh, if you if you're again, if your community is simply not willing to even think about going in the direction you think it ought to in terms of the master plan, uh, then you've got to make some hard decisions about whether you're wasting your time or not. Um, other than that, there are just all sorts of compromises one can make along the way. I mean, I, I, some people use that word or view that word as a very negative word, compromise, but I think it's a, it's a fact of life I and mean, it has to be non constantly.
0: Yeah, no, I'd agree. I've seen that quite a bit over the years.
1: (laughs) No doubt.
2: So you wrote this book originally in 2002. And so we've talked about a lot of the gaps and challenges in identifying or for, you know, practicing planners trying to identify what their role in the community is and how to navigate the politics of it all. Uh, Do you think those are... Still an issue today, uh, more so, less so. And if you could go back and add or remove something from that book based on what the planning and political climate is today, what would it, what would those be?
1: Well, you know, there's not much I would remove from the book. Uh, I think the issues uh, the issues are still there. I think the the political content is, if anything, more important than ever. Um, and I think the history of planning theories and strategies and sort of assessing them in terms of how they did or did not work in in planning practice uh, remains useful. Uh, If I were to rewrite it today, 20 years later, I would probably add a new chapter on uh, what seems to have been a major body of theory over the last 20 years or so, namely uh, theories of justice, theories of equity, uh, theories about the good city, the kind these are really sort of value-based uh, things that um, we would love to be able to build into our plans if we if we possibly can. There's been a lot of work of that kind, um, and I probably would now try to address more of that. But other than that, I don't think there's a whole lot I would change. I mean, so far as I'm concerned, the book is still relevant. I don't know whether <laughs> whether others would agree or not.
2: No, I would completely agree. So I actually I found it. I found it uh, extremely helpful, right? So, and I don't know if other planners out there have the same issues that I do uh, from time to time where you sort of get uh, lost in the day-to-day, right? So when you're doing development your reviews after development reviews, you can kind of, I guess, lose your place um, and get a little bit uh, confused on what what your role is actually supposed to be. And I found, at least in reading reading your book, that it really helped me find my place and who I am as a planner and really help sort of solidify what my role is in my community. Right. Uh, I found it extremely helpful in that regard. What would, what do you think is the most important thing for you that you would want, uh, listeners and readers to take away from the book?
1: Well, a couple of things. One is that theory need not be something um, that we dread and ignore, that it really is important to sort of underlying the um, the profession and what it is we do. Uh, and secondly, that we can't really ignore the, the political process and we don't have to fear it. Rather, we can address it. And we can find ways to make it work for us, hopefully. So I guess those are those are the major takeaways so far as I'm concerned.
0: Is there anything else that you would you want our listeners to know, or you'd want to add before we end?
1: Well, I don't think so. I think uh, you've asked good questions, and and uh, I hope the answers are. I hope they relate in some way to the questions.
0: <laughs> yeah. No. This this has been really great. We uh, really appreciate you taking the time, and I especially appreciate you w- willing to reschedule since I. Had a conflict with the original time that I was not aware of, so um, really appreciate it.
1: Well, I'm feeling good because at uh, my uh, my one concern about the time was that in my advanced age, sometimes in the latter part of the day, my voice disappears, and so I'm very pleased that we are near the end and I still have my voice. Yeah. <laughs>